Fox and B. Frank show. There was some drama after all conference championship weekend. We do have a set playoff now, but let's take a look back and uh, go through some of the games that got us to this point. First off, Friday night, Pac-12 championship. USC in control of their own destiny, winning their end. But as we found out this year, a lot of teams... Winning their end scenarios, be it to make the conference championship game or in this case to make the playoff, does not always work out. That is what happened here. Uh, the one nice thing I can say, Caleb Williams clearly not at 100%, uh, gutted out a still pretty strong game for him. But mm-hmm. as has been the case at times this season, and certainly wherever Lincoln Riley has been a head coach, just no help at all from the Trojan defense. And I mean, I, I think that was the biggest difference in, in why Utah is back-to-back Pac-12 champions. I will say they started the game hot. The defense was playing decent. Granted, some of it was Utah making their own mistakes. The game changed for me. Second quarter, Utah fumbles inside uh, their own 40, I believe it was. USC takes Zero shots downfield, up 17-3. to Really a chance to bury the Utes who hadn't gotten anything going. They turn it over on downs. Utah goes down the field in six minutes. 11 plays, 63-yard touchdown. USC goes three and out, and then another touchdown to close the half for the Utes. And all of a sudden, you blink, and it's 17-17, and from there it was over. They they outscored the Trojans 44 Two seven to close out that game, and like you said, it was a lot of Caleb Williams. No, nobody in the run game had anything going. Caleb Williams had a fifty-nine yard run that was by and far the longest of the night for the Trojan team, who uh, only had fifty-six total yards. But if he wasn't doing it, nothing was happening. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Addison had one big play. That's pretty much it. it and it really, it looked like this could be a blowout in the other direction. Uh, first couple drives of the game, yeah. it did not look like Utah had any answers defensively. USC was getting some stops, but just the the sheer number of missed tackles over mm-hmm. the, the second quarter and the second half were, I mean, ridiculous. I, I think at one point in the third quarter, USC was already up to 22 missed tackles. A um, couple long touchdown run or plays that really put that on full display. Um, just, you know, yeah. big plays that turned into much bigger plays when defense cannot execute simple fundamentals. And that's kind of how this turned into a, a blowout loss. 533 yards of offense for Utah, a much more balanced attack than what USC was able to do, especially after, you know, Caleb Williams was clearly a little gimpy. Just, as you said, no support at all from the run game to take any sort of pressure off of him uh, just really hurt. And, I mean, this wasn't one of those games where USC was in it till the end, just barely lost, and maybe could make an argument and make it into the playoff. The way they lost this game, I mean, you knew what was going to happen. Like, they were going to be left out. Mm-hmm. Any chance any chance you gave if you were USC, it was going to be taken by the playoff committee. I mean, I I have gripes still. Um, I'm glad with how it shook out. I'll say that first and foremost. We're, we're going to get there in a little bit. Like the four, I think, are fine. Other pieces of it, I, I am not thrilled about, but we'll, we'll discuss later. So uh, credit to Utah, though, and credit to us. I think we both had them preseason as our Pac-12 champs, a so roundabout way we got there. We did. I thought they would uh, make a little bit more of a push for the playoff, but they did 
beat USC twice. Not quite as dominant in both games as the back-to-back beatdowns Utah put on Oregon last year. Uh, the first mm-hmm. game, at least, against USC was very close. This one, as we said, was not. Um, but shout-out to to the Utes. Pac-12 is still theirs. Back-to-back. The other uh, game of, of note, the playoff, Kansas State-TCU. Kansas State eking this one out in overtime, three-point win. We had said TCU making a habit out of playing from behind one of these days, likely going to come back to bite them. Fell behind by double digits here again, 28-17. Were able to rally and force overtime, obviously, but could not punch it in for the one in the extra period. And, I mean, that basically just handed it to Kansas State, just needing a field goal to win, and that's, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it was it was a fun game. It was a good one. It, it was another one that looked like Kansas State was going to run away with it. Will Howard again playing very well uh, in this game. Deuce Vaughn had a nice one for the Wildcats too. They just kept on finding ways. The run game for TCU was great. They they found a way to get the ball to Johnson only four times, but he made it count in, in all four of those catches. Hundred thirty nine yards of offense for him uh, and. Just when it when it came down to it, he had that bad fumble, um, and then one interception. Those are the difference in this game. It's it's tight margins when you get to this point of the year. Yeah, I mean, dug in at a a pretty gritty game. Obviously, not as as flashy numbers wise as some of his better performances this year. He's able to grind out a hundred yards on the ground himself, um, in addition to what he was able to do through the air. But yeah, I mean, this was. It was a tough game the first time these two teams played, and it's obviously even even tougher this time. Tough to beat a team twice, so so credit to Utah for doing that. TCU mm-hmm. not quite able to do that, but they were definitely helped by losing in this fashion, the close game in overtime, um, and again only their first loss on the year. So I think those factors definitely helped work in their favor. But and Kansas State, right. not really a team we were talking about a lot in the preseason, um, you know, especially after an early season loss to Tulane that in retrospect was a uh, pretty big time matchup, but mm-hmm. this is a, uh, it's a great way to, to end the season and, you know, bring the, the first non Bill Snyder big 12 championship back to uh, the little apple. Don't, don't we love Manhattan, Kansas folks. That is a, uh, it's a heck of a win credit to Kansas state. They were really good and, they have they have a quarterback next year, unless he leaves. Will Howard should be the should be the runaway starter next year. That's the thing. So many quarterbacks have entered the portal already. It's just yeah. uh, it's pure chaos right now. Uh, portal season is going to be wild. You know, a lot of teams are scrambling just to fill out rosters, or seeming like uh, the cupboard's pretty bare at this point. Um, just speaking hypothetically, not about any programs in particular, but. Um, that's that's something to monitor. We've seen some big name quarterbacks enter already. I'm sure more will follow, and it'll be interesting to see kind of where all the pieces end up. Because you know we can't really project where teams will be next year because the rosters will just look so so yeah. different. Um, yeah, NFL draft declarations coming too. So a lot of a uh, lot of pieces to to move around the country and see how they all fit. Mm-hmm. The last. Four conference championship games were not close. Um, we, we got the competitive ones out of the way early. 
Georgia LSU, uh, I mean, thank goodness LSU was not in the conversation for a playoff spot anymore. They shouldn't have been uh, as a two-loss team, but somehow were. Georgia reminding people they are the best team in the country this year. Uh, looking outstanding. Gave up a, a lot of passing yards to Daniels and then Nussmeyer off the bench, but held LSU to 47 yards on the ground. And, I mean, they won by 20. It, it did not feel that close at all. No, it, it got to a point where I was curious, like, when do they take their foot off the gas? And it looked like near the half is where they did that. It was 35-7, and it very well could have been 42 or 49-7 to at that point. But... Yeah, I mean, and this is a damn good team. You do worry a little bit about what happened to their secondary in this game, but I think that's more uh, part of the situation they were in rather than the actual story of of how good the defensive secondary is. So they got their their tune-up in. They dropped 50 points. They showed everyone in the country that they can do it by scoring a bunch. They can outscore you or they can just clamp you down defensively. So this is... A tough team, and it'll be a fun playoff game to watch. I'm willing to look past it. Uh, just LSU doing some stat padding, but ultimately not affecting yeah. uh, the outcome of the game. Tulane, uh, the aforementioned team that Kansas State lost to earlier, big win, got revenge over UCF, 17-point win in their home stadium for the American title and uh, clinching a New Year's Six bull berth. 648 yards of offense. Uh, we, we spent a lot of this year talking about Tulane's defense and what they could do, but uh, Spears near the end of the season has been on an absolute heater. Pratt as well, over 400 yards of offense in this one, five touchdowns. UCF's a great offensive team. Defense has been the unit that has let them down at times this year, but I think you got to give – all the credit in the world to Tulane for an outstanding season and winning a, a very deserved conference title. Yeah, Tulane turned it over three times, still scored 45 points, put up almost 650 yards of offense. Uh, they were just dominant in the passing game, 394 passing yards on 20 completions. Just insane video game numbers there. Uh, efficiency numbers were not great, doesn't matter. They got the win. They look good doing it, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna celebrate with a big bowl. Michigan first game uh, or first full game rather without Blake Corum. No Blake Corum, no problem. Uh, you know, remains to be seen against some of the playoff teams. But Donovan Edwards putting forth another big performance to the, or, uh, on Saturday, 185 yards on the ground. Purdue didn't play poorly from a statistical standpoint. But again, this was a game that it didn't feel like there was any threat from Purdue in the second half. Um, you know, Aiden O'Connell dealing with off the field tragedy still came out and, and played a, a pretty darn good game, 366 yards in the air, but there, there was just too much from Michigan's defense. And I mean, I, I think once the Wolverines really locked in, um, and was getting that type of production out of Edwards, it was uh, was pretty much game over. Yeah, the run game is, the, as the run game goes, is how Michigan goes. Their, their defense, they're running the football, they're old school Big Ten. Uh, they are 
built in the image of their coach, who ironically enough was a quarterback uh, and tries to use the quarterback as little as possible offensively. Um, but that's that's just how they play, and that's how they win these games. They they do it in the trenches. And McCarthy, again, you just need McCarthy to not turn the ball over, and Michigan's going to be a hard team to beat. Like that's that you're not going to beat them very often on the offensive and defensive line. The run game is going to get what they need to, and and if you can slow down the run game and force them to be a little more one dimensional in the passing attack, that's where they you have a chance to uh, to win. Purdue just wasn't able to do that, and rightfully so. Like Purdue had a great season. There's no knocking that, but they are not at the level of Michigan. Big Ten West doesn't win this game. They, they never yeah. have. They probably will not uh, before the divisions are abolished. But again, it's just, I don't know. It's just people out there getting some good cardio in. And, yeah. I mean, the, the accomplishment is making it to the game uh, for the Boilermakers, who, well, we'll talk about Jeff Brown later, but um, could be could be things happening there. Uh, And then simultaneously, the all-time bad vibes game, Clemson, UNC. UNC just really fell off to end the season. Um, I mean, it's basically asking Drake May to do everything. They outgained Clemson in this game, but ended up losing 39-10, thanks in part to losing the turnover battle 3-0. I mean, this this is just a... uh, a, a an ACC championship is nice, but I think Clemson's the one program where, like, this is the high point of the season. You're like, all right, we we could have done more. Um, I, I feel like Dabo's at the point where this just does not really mean as much to him when you know they are so far outside of playoff contention. Yeah, it's it's the team winning the bowl game that doesn't take the trophy or like that wins at the or gets second place at the Olympics and doesn't want the silver medals anymore and just kind of like gives it to other people. It's like, yeah, we had to play this game, but we don't we don't actually give a shit. Um, the attendance was not great. It was only eighty seven percent full according to uh, some of the numbers that I saw. So really, continuing on the the theme of a bad vibes game, no one really cared um, about this one and. Uh, that's just that's just how it is sometimes. That's the roll of the dice when you lose a couple tough games. But the good news, Cade Klubnik looked pretty solid in this game and and clearly the the guy to take over next year, assuming they, they don't land anyone big. And with that, the college football playoff is set. It'll be Georgia versus Ohio State in the Peach Bowl, Michigan, TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. As you said... Can't really can't really complain about the four teams that that got in it, as I think has proven to be the case more often than not. Any sort of drama or uh, controversy really worked itself out in the end. Yeah, the only thing I have a gripe with is that Tennessee is behind Alabama, who they beat. I don't know. We don't have a measuring stick to compare these two teams. Oh wait, yes we do. They played each other. Tennessee won the game. I don't care if Hendon Hooker is hurt. They still won the game. They should be number five. Doesn't matter. It's splitting hairs. It's semantics at that point. But the committee got it right, thank God. Uh, and now we can move forward with a, a fun four-team playoff here. Some coaching carousel uh, things. As we were recording last week, the news broke. Hugh Freeze going to Auburn uh, from Liberty. Um, I mean, it just means more. All us for uh, past transgressions. 
at Ole Miss. And I mean, the, the easiest thing you can boil it down to, you know, at Auburn, what do they care about? The man has beaten Nick Saban back to back years. Uh, he, he did it twice. No one else has really been able to figure it out. Those were two of the most fun uh, college football games in those respective years. Mm-hmm. Some Bo Wallace some swag Kelly um, points, points and more points. Uh, I mean, to put it lightly, the Brian Harson era was a mistake. Um, yeah, they can't presumably do worse. Um, and I, I mean, I think first and foremost, pretty clear goal. They're just trying to find a way to win the state of Alabama, but that is so much easier said than done. It is, but Hugh, Hugh Freeze is the man on the planes now. Let's see what he can do. I, uh, I, I, for one, am shocked, but I'm not shocked at all. Like it is. It is the most surprising yet most expected move uh, that I think there was. Uh, Deion Sanders to Colorado. Um, pretty pretty big move, and he, he's coming in pretty aggressively. Obviously yeah. elevated uh, Jackson State back to uh, national relevance. Really never understood why uh, you know the SWAC just is not included in the FCS playoffs because I would have liked to see a couple runs yeah. uh, certainly had some very talented teams, uh, you know, flipping top prospects from Florida state and other FBS programs. Um, the PAC 12 is going to be wide open because um, USC UCLA are poised to leave soon. Um, you know, your closest neighbor, Utah is currently running the conference. It's in a bad place. Colorado's in a very bad place, but to me, I don't think there's anything really stopping a guy like Deion Sanders from getting them back to relevance, whatever you quantify that as, in a, in a couple of seasons. I, I think the last hire was very clearly not a good one. Like, literally no one was excited about that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there is a lot more reason for optimism uh, right now. The biggest thing to me is Dion can recruit. Like, if you can get guys to Jackson State, you can get them to Colorado. I think the sell is infinitely easier. There are, or at least should be, more resources, better facilities, all that jazz that that people care about. Um, and then you've got the name factor. So he's coming in hot for sure. He is uh, he is definitely making zero friends with the the current roster. But I think whoever stays understands what they're getting themselves into, and and he's going to do it his way. So if it, it, not that anyone expected Deion Sanders to do it any other way, but that's that's what you're going to get. If you're Colorado, you're paying out all this money that the AD is like, we don't even have it, so we'll just get it along the way. That's that's where they're at right now. They're going to give it to a guy that they think can can change the trajectory, do something different, and that's exactly what Dion does. Yeah, that, that's a team that um, I would expect to be super aggressive um, in the yeah. transfer portal um, this offseason. And then, of course, general recruiting years to come. Um, I, I mean, there is, there's going to be a lot of turnover on that roster. That's one in particular that, I mean, it's, it's going to be improved by next season, but... A lot, uh, a lot of movement is going to happen in the offseason. I think he was he was pretty clear on that uh, right mm-hmm. away. 
Uh, lastly, Scott Satterfield to Cincinnati, who Louisville is poised to play in a bowl game, which will be super fun uh, at Fenway. But uh, 25 and 24 in his time there, but didn't really feel like he ever had solid footing, felt like he was always looking for the door. And a lot of former players speaking out to, I mean, basically lend credence to that. Um, after it was announced he was leaving now, uh, just got beat like a drum uh, by Kentucky. And, you know, Cincinnati going to the Big 12. Um, so, I mean, there there is that appeal, but it, it feels like one of those, you can't fire me, I quit uh, situations. And now... It's Mike White we, to Georgia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, we... We make the jokes about it, but it is from a a place of truth. Jeff Brown could be coming home. We will uh, some, something to watch. Is this is this finally 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 the year that it happens? Um, Louisville fans are probably praying for it because they are they are really in a rough spot. The basketball program is um, politely horrific, and football had a up and down year. So they, and they, now they lose a coach to Cincinnati who I imagine every single one of the uh, Louisville fan base and alums look down upon thinking that they are sig- significantly better and superior to Cincinnati, but here they are. Let's see if they can bring the prodigal son home. We can only hope. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a wrap on, uh, everything ahead of bowl season now for college football. Uh, so we will Biggest game of the year this weekend. Yeah. Army Navy. America's game. I'm going with Navy. Um, but I'll take army either way, support the troops. Either way, the troops will win. So yes, that, uh, that will be a spectacle certainly. Um, but college basketball can take. More and more center stage. A lot of a uh, lot of surprising teams in terms of uh, hot starts and especially slow starts. And so you take a look at uh, some of the winners and losers. Who who do you have as one of your winners in college basketball? I'm going to give it to Maryland. Uh, an old friend will will peek his head back out for this one. Kevin Willard has got the Terps off to a shocking i would say start they're up to 13th in the ap poll they're eight no they beat illinois looked good doing it they've beat a good st louis team by a a ton they beat miami by 18 uh, in a rekindling of old acc friends they obviously took care of louisville who is terrible Um, but this team does a little bit of everything and they have one of the best transfers in the entire country uh, in Jameer Young, who has played just out of his mind for this team so far this season. Yeah, I mean, first seven games won by 15-plus points. Uh, first first-year coach uh, to have Maryland ranked, um, which is not a, a stat I would have expected given the history of that program. Um, mm-hmm. And then most recently, the first, like, quote-unquote competitive game they have played other good teams, but first game that was somewhat in doubt uh home win over illinois led the entire way as you said big game from jameer young i'm still not 
thrilled with his efficiency. Um, I think that'll come back to, to bite them at some point. I am really impressed with Hart so far. Uh, five yeah. of six and threes in that game, shooting just under 52% from distance on the year. Um, I mean, the, the bigs are just as good as I thought they could be. And uh, Scott and Reese down low is just kind of getting some perimeter production, bringing Young, you bring in Carey, um, you know, Young shooting a lot. He's making some of them, um, but I think over the course of the big time season, he's going to have to improve. Uh, but if if Hart is providing that spark from the perimeter, that's that's a huge huge difference maker um, that you know pushes Maryland from a fringe top twenty five team to top fifteen team. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, they they need. They need Carey to improve his efficiency as well. He's just been really struggling from the field. But if he does that, as you expect uh, some of the other guys to cool off, I think their balancing act is, is pretty good at that point. And then I had uh, – it's not really last week specific, but just in general, uh, shouting out Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, don't really have wins that jump off the page to you necessarily, but I would say Utah and Marquette have aged pretty nicely over the last week or so. No one has scored more than 55 points against Mississippi State so far. They are eighth in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. Um, I mean, we I I really didn't know how Christian's first year would go Um, in Mississippi State. I I think this is obviously as good as you could have hoped with the unblemished 8-0 record. Uh, But I think if this progresses, keeps to this point of playing just incredible lockdown defense first of all mississippi state tennessee is going to be a rock fight um, Mm -hmm. this year but also i mean they could potentially challenge in the sec for an at-large bid um, which i think would be a a huge success in year one Um, obviously the offense will need to step up a tick um, for that to be totally realistic. But the way they're defending right now, they're giving themselves a chance in every single game. And once you see the the step up in competition soon, I'm really curious to see how that continues or how that plays out. Yeah, they've been a really pleasant surprise so far. They, like you said, (laughs) the schedule, not necessarily the greatest, but you can only play who's in front of you at that point. Um, the argument works a little – it doesn't work as well in college basketball, obviously, because you, you schedule a lot of games, and uh, a lot of this is your choice. But they're in the top 25. They are doing incredibly well metrically. The net loves them. Ken Palm is a big fan. They, they're getting uh, the accolades that they need early on to build up that resume so that if and when they do take some of those slips – throughout the season against a, a tough SEC grind, they're they're able to withstand those falls. You're right on the scheduling front. I will give you a break. Um, you know, if it's year one, there's not a ton expected from your squad, just trying to build some confidence early. Um, some of those which, games, most of those games even might be locked in from the previous regime as well. So Yeah. Yeah. So you know the SEC's be a tough conference so i mean if if they're not for real we'll find out quickly um but mm-hmm. so far early returns are, are very nice out of starksville agreed there uh i had maryland as well did you have any other winners yes i had the mountain west conference 
they have shown up and started off the season very well. Three of the nation's remaining undefeated teams. I believe there are not. No, there are more than that. But they are one of two conferences with three unbeatens. I believe the SEC is the other. Uh, Utah State, New Mexico, and UNLV all undefeated so far this season. 7-7 seven, seven, and 8-0. Uh, the conference... Looks like it's going to be a decent one. Boise State's a solid team. Nevada looks okay. San Diego State, obviously, uh, expected to do some big things in that league. Colorado State has struggled. Wyoming has had a really tough go early on in the season, dealing with injuries. They were a team that was expected to fight for an at-large bid. The Mountain West looks deep this year. Absolutely. and I mean, Utah State is, is just a machine. Um, really... Not a lot of uh, drop off from the Craig Smith era. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think they're they're the most impressive team out of the undefeateds. Um, you know, we we expected a lot from San Diego State coming in. They're obviously not undefeated, but still playing really good basketball. Wyoming's in a tough spot now because um, you know missing a guy like Ike with so much expected in the preseason, getting an at large bid could be tough. Um, so you kind of hope that all of the teams that are playing well in the Mountain West continue to play well. So that by the time he's back in January, conference season rolls around, you have an opportunity for some needle moving wins. Um, but either way, they're talented enough to win the tournament and, and sneak into uh, the dance anyway. Um, but yeah, Mountain West is always one of those conferences that's, uh, you know, right there as the contending for, the best non-power six conference. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they've, they've got a strong argument this year. Um, you know, obviously the American has a, a great argument as well. West coast conference is deeper, but doesn't have that same star power at the very top. St. Mary's is good. Just give uh, Houston a good game, but obviously Gonzaga is not the team that they've been the last mm-hmm. you know decade or so. But yeah, I, I mean, San Diego state had a couple of tough losses, in Maui, um, but nothing to be ashamed of there. Very strong showing for the conference. And yeah, I mean, got a, a quarter of the undefeated teams in the country right now, basically. It's, it's pretty yeah. darn good. Not too shabby, that's for sure. Uh, and then the only other team I was going to call out is Utah. Blowout win over Arizona. They handle uh, their business at Washington State. Never an easy place to play. Uh, and they, they look like they're on the cusp of being a solid team in the Pac-12. Yeah, speaking of Craig Smith, um, yeah. kind of slow start year one, but all he does is win, and they they already look much improved in year two, um, getting good production out of Carlson um, on the inside. So Arizona is one of my losers, but um, bigger sense, just kind of Maui teams back on the mainland, obviously, yeah. you know, the biggest difference is just the rims on the mainland are not as soft as they are in the Lahaina <laughs> Civic Center. Arizona was four of 28 from three um, in that 15 point loss to Utah. The backcourt of Carissa Larson and Courtney Ramey shot five of 27 from the field, which is just not winning basketball no matter who you're playing. And then Creighton, which is a, a big time historically live and die by the three. Yeah, Lose, losing at Texas, not you know the end of the world, um, especially with how they shot. But once that carries over to a game against Nebraska, who, I mean, this win might 
lends you the belief that Nebraska is good. Uh, I mean, outside of this game, they haven't really shown that this year. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they build on it uh, coming up playing Indiana this week. I very much hope that they don't. But uh, in those two games, Creighton was 14 of 67 from three. Um, so just a lot of bricks being thrown up on the mainland and great resume building weeks in Maui are uh, kind of being canceled out a little bit. Yeah, I agree Creighton as well. The big issue for me is their, like just how they're running their offense. Against Nebraska, there is absolutely no reason to shoot 43s. They took Correct. 25 twos in that game. They were 10 of 25 on twos. They were 10 of 40 on threes. They got to the free throw line five times. I mean, it's unacceptable for a coach as good as Greg McDermott, for a team as good as his, with so many veteran guys, air quote veteran guys. These are a lot of guys who have played a lot of minutes. You've got to know when you don't have it that night. Kaluma, 0 for 6. Nemard, 0 for 6 from 3. Uh, Shireman, 2 of 9. He was like 3 of 15 in the uh, earlier game against Texas, and his, his threes were like the last minute of the game to kind of rally them back. Trey Alexander, 3 of 8. The only guy hitting was Farabello. You got to just know when it's not your day, put your head down and get to the rim. Like that, this is just, it's a growing experience. As I say, they're a veteran team. I take it back to say that this is a learning experience for some of the, you know, the sophomores in the group. But I think they should be old enough to know that that's not how you should be playing, especially when Kalkbrenner's got such an advantage on the interior. Like he should be touching the ball getting 20 shots in this game. No one on Nebraska can guard him. Yeah. I, and you, you just, you are too good of a team to let one loss become two losses um, like yeah. that. But yeah, I mean, this is a big change certainly from last year in that there were pretty lofty preseason expectations. They were able to live up to them pretty well in Maui, um, just falling short of Arizona in the championship game, getting, two very good wins uh, before that, but yeah, they've, they've not been playing well uh, since they got back. Just determined to live and die by the three when you don't have to. Yeah. Impressively Shireman was five of 22 from three in those two games and his season average is still 37%. It's just good. incredible. <laughs> um, I also had, uh, Michigan State. Yeah. They're like, I know they're missing Malik Hall. Um, and maybe we were just too high on them earlier, which I think is probably the case because there is good reason not to be. But the way they lost this week, uh, both games, Notre Dame and Northwestern, uh, many folks saying there is no way they would lose at Notre Dame, just statistically impossible based on the schedules they had played to that point. Yeah the way to defend Notre Dame is just run them off the three point line. And that just did not happen at all. Um, and, and you've got Cormac Ryan and everyone on that team, just splashing threes in your face and just ran the Spartans out of the gym. And then Northwestern, like we, we know what Northwestern is like their two most productive interior guys, Nance and Ryan young have gone to North Carolina and Duke, they do not have the horse, even a Michigan State team not at full strength. They do not have the horses uh, to match up 
with the Spartans anywhere on the court, and yet Michigan State still really struggled with Northwestern's post-defense, constant doubling of more talented post players and just not being able to take advantage. So, I mean, those are the, like the road loss to Notre Dame, if you're competitive, whatever. Um, but to get blown out there and then follow that up with, by losing to Northwestern big 10 opener at home. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention, this is a Northwestern team who lost to Pitt earlier in the week by 29. So it's not like they were coming in confident or anything like that. It's just Northwestern was the aggressor in a vast majority of this game, and it worked out. They got to the line 24 times to Michigan State's 12, and in a seven-point difference, that's the game right there. Absolutely. Uh, any other losers on your end? Uh, I got to throw North Carolina in there again. You got it. Did- this team is, uh, I don't want to say free-falling, but they're, they're free-falling at this point. They look so lost on both ends of the floor. Like, there's just no cohesion. This looks like a brand-new team that has never played together, and it's not. They've lost four straight now. Um, you can't really fault them for the loss in Indiana. Like, yes, they, they could have played better and should have played better, but I think Indiana was winning that one. Assembly Hall was juiced. The Hoosiers just played really good basketball that day. Then to follow it up with a road loss to an admittedly decent Virginia Tech team uh, behind Mr. November, now into December, Mike Young. But you shoot 17% from three, you turn it over, uh, or excuse me, you get into foul trouble. Like this is just, I don't know what's going on. It's been, it's been ugly for North Carolina so far. They need to find a way to hit reset and and figure out their their issues here. They need well, obviously they need Baycott to get healthy, but I don't. I think that the issues run a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, I mean, there's a pretty pretty rough start. I mean, they were fortunate to only lose by twelve at Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. Enjoyed a, a pretty healthy margin and free throws attempted and made to to kind of keep the final score respectable, um, but. Yeah, I mean, they're they're helping to do a number on Indiana's non-conference strength of schedule, which I'm not overly fond of. Arizona, yeah. too, losing to Utah. What are we doing, guys? Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's just, like the, the same problems that we saw last year are still pervasive. And, I mean, we talked about this last week, like swapping out Brady Manick for Pete Nance. Nance has his positive qualities, but they're not the same player. Uh, and he can't, he can't fill that same void. And there were times – against Indiana where he was being asked to kind of be the focal point of that offense, which should not be the case. But when North Carolina is down, like they, they have the tendency to, you know, if they're close, shoot themselves out of games or when they are down, just continue to take bad shots and exacerbate the issue. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Caleb loves shot selection is some of the, worst I've ever seen um, out of yeah. like a, a lead guard. And I mean, it's not necessarily a new issue. He happened to be hitting a ton last year, especially late in the season. Um, but so many possessions are just stagnant, either one pass in a shot or just dribble into a bad shot, um, you know, contested long two or something of the sort. Um, and it's just, they, they, they look lost on that side of the ball. Um, and then, you know, 
it bleeds into the defense. Defensive effort is not always there. And, you know, they just give up these big runs and allow themselves to play the, their way out of games. They honestly just need to start playing in transition more. I think they were at their best last season when you saw them pushing the ball up the floor, maybe just thinking less and playing basketball. Like, R.J. Davis is a phenomenal mid-range shooter in transition. Caleb Love can attack the rim really well. They have those guys that are able to do that on the outlet and just kind of settle things down. (laughs) The flip side is if you're not hitting those shots, you are just leaving yourself wide open uh, for a okay defensive team. I think they're in the, the 50s or 60s of Ken Palm defensive efficiency, but they need they just need to try something different offensively because like you said it's it's causing issues on the defensive end of the ball too. Yeah, they they could not guard Trace Jackson Davis especially once Baycott was a little hobbled. Um like yeah. Pete Nance trying to do that was a mismatch of the century. Um so that's another thing to monitor going forward if you know Baycott gets in foul trouble or you know has games where he isn't at 100% like what's the answer defensively there? Um, Cause they're, mm-hmm. they're certainly still looking for that. And yeah, I would agree in the Indiana game. Certainly they were not going to really get anything in the half court. They got on transition a couple of times, but still like they would not just go to the baskets. Um, there yeah. are a, co- a couple of times where, you know, get out in transition, still taking a long contested too. And then you see one go in and if you're North Carolina game fan, you're almost annoyed. It's like, ah, now he's going to shoot more of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, basketball is not as complicated a game as we make it sometimes. Um, but they, there, there is, you can see the wheels turning a lot in players' heads when North Carolina's on offense, um, and it's it's just they're they're getting a lot of shots. They're just not necessarily good shots. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, that was all I had. Any anyone else for you? No one else for me. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up then. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be a lot more basketball-centric show going forward, uh, especially once the college football playoff is concluded. But in the interim, a lot of basketball happening. So if you haven't yet, be sure to check it out. There are games literally every day. Um, so, yeah. I mean, plenty, plenty for you to consume. But either way, we will be here to break it down for you. So we will see you next time.